The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. This is what John the Baptist proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It happened in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, maybe at some point you had to do an assignment that goes something like this. In a hundred words or less, write about blah, 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 whatever it is, right? And it's hard to do to sort of condense something down to like a hundred words. But that short gospel reading I just shared with you is about a hundred words, 103 to be precise. And there's so much that is packed into those 103 words. This is an epiphany. Just like we heard last week, epiphany means revealing or manifestation. This is an epiphany of the Holy Trinity. We see all three divine persons being revealed to us. And so what I want to do today is unpack these words, and I hope that you will be able to see how each person of the Trinity impacts your life. So first of all, of course, you've got Jesus, the very Son of God, the God, the divine one who has now become human as we celebrated at Christmas. We've got to back up just a little bit before this, though, in Mark's gospel, because what he told us is that people were coming out to see Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, confessing their sins and undergoing this baptism of repentance. And I think we understand why they were doing that, because it's the very same reason why we've come here today. We're all searching for a way to deal with our sin. Whether we know it or not, we're searching for a way to deal with sin. We know in our heart of hearts that we're not right. We're supposed to be better than this. We, we get it. And it's why a lot of us are perfectionist control freaks. We, we sense in our souls that there is this standard, that there is this perfection, and we're trying desperately to get it, to, to get to that perfection, and we never get there. And then we feel that. We feel it. And what we wish we could do is wash away the filth, the guilt, the imperfection, the failure. We wish we could start over. John does not point us to ourselves, to our own best efforts to kind of clean up our act. He begins, as you heard, to talk about one who is so holy, so powerful, so perfect that he, John, is not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. Now, there's something behind that. In that day and age, to untie someone's sandals, their shoes, was so lowly, it was so uh, demeaning that it was even beneath a Jewish slave. A, A Jewish slave was exempt from having to do this. So what John is then saying is that compared to his greatness and his holiness, we're not even worthy to be slaves. But then here's the great mystery. Think about this. 
this all-holy, all-powerful, and perfect one actually wears sandals. In other words, he's come down to tread the earth with us. And then Mark sort of nonchalantly switches paragraphs and drops, boom, a bomb. If you're paying attention, because you just heard, you know, John is saying, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. And then he comes to be baptized by John. He puts himself underneath John, and he undergoes this baptism of repentance with a bunch of people who are confessing their sins. What sins does he have to confess? What in the world is he doing wading in the river that is polluted by our filth and muck? What's going on? But he, this God, this almighty and holy and perfect one, What he's doing is he's identifying with us. He's standing shoulder to shoulder with us, and yet he's doing even more than that. He is absorbing it into himself, onto himself. He's like a sponge that's just soaking up all of our sin so that this water can become pristine, so that it can purify and perfect us. Jesus gets into the water because he is willingly accepting his mission as the suffering servant. That's what we heard in that Old Testament reading that Evan read for us from Isaiah. Isaiah has several suffering servant songs. That's the first one, Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 53, it says this, He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, water cleanses and it purifies, but it's also deadly and destructive. Mark tells us that Jesus goes down into the water. He is immersed. He is buried by John in that water. And now we can already see at the very beginning of his gospel where this is headed. It's headed to the cross. It's all headed as he is now saturated with our sins. He's headed to that cross and then he will be buried in his tomb. See, we're trying to deal with our sins, right? What we try to do is, well, we sometimes try to ignore them and deny them and make excuses for them. Or we try to make up for them. You know, I did something wrong, and I'm going to make up for it and do something good. No, but it's never enough. Maybe we, we try to rid ourselves, you know, work a little bit harder at it, get rid of that bad habit, but, but we never get there. We never achieve that perfection. What does Jesus do with it? He buries it. He drowns it. He destroys it. Our sins are left behind in His watery tomb. And so just as He will do on Easter Sunday morning, He rises up. He rises up out of that water, gasping for new air, new life. And what Mark tells us then is that the heavens are torn open. They're ripped open. Mark will use this very same word on Good Friday when the curtain temple is ripped in two. Now that curtain temple demonstrates to us, it gives us a good visual of how our sins separate us from a holy God. On the other side of the curtain in the temple was the Holy of Holies, the innermost room of the temple. And no one was allowed to go in there. 
This was the place of God's most intimate and intense presence on earth. And no one was allowed to go in there except once a year, one guy, the high priest, got to go in there. And he went in there to make a sacrifice for his sins and for the sins of the people so that they wouldn't be so separated from God. He made atonement. The day is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, atonement... If you, I like to break the word into three parts. It means at-one-ment, to make us at one. So what happens on Good Friday is the priest, Jesus, atones for our sins. Everything that he has absorbed, all of our sins that have been laid upon him, he now kills them and destroys them on that cross. And so now, our sin removed from us, we can be at one with God. Normally, when we rip something, it tears it apart. See, when that curtain in the temple is ripped, it opens everything up. The heavens are ripped open to us. So what I want to do is that we're going to take a little intermission in the homily because this homily is not less than 100 words for sure. We're going to take a little intermission. What I want you to do is to absorb, to absorb a little bit of this and think about it. I want you to think about some things. What needs to be purified in you? What sin or addiction or habit or grudge or whatever are you holding inside and it needs to be destroyed because it is keeping you from your God? Confess it. Get into the water of, with Jesus and be buried and go under that water and then rise up. Rise up with Jesus. Let him rip open the heavens to you. Not just, oh, yeah, when I die and then I'm going to go to heaven. No, no. Let him rip open the heavens to you right now so that you can have a face-to-face, -face, personal, intimate friendship with your God. I want to give you a few seconds just to meditate on that. So next you got the Holy Spirit, who at the very beginning, when the earth was formless and void, was hovering over the face of the waters, and he was creating. And in our gospel today, we find the same Holy Spirit in coming down in the form of a dove, and he's hovering over the waters of the Jordan River. He comes down as a, a dove. Remember that it was a dove with a freshly plucked olive leaf in its beak that signaled to Noah that the flood which had destroyed the earth was now over. That dove meant that Noah had a new beginning. The old corrupted earth had then been destroyed in the flood and it was now a new creation which had been purified by the water of the flood. See, water purifies and water destroys, but water also gives us life. The Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus in the form of a dove because he's signaling the new creation, the new beginning, the new life. Paul says this to Titus, when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, 
He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by, catch this part, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. John said, I came to baptize with water, but now through that water, Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit who's poured out on us. Do you need a new life? A new beginning? See, the Holy Spirit comes down upon you to open up new possibilities and and new vistas. And as He did with Jesus, as that Spirit comes down on you, He gives you a mission and He gives you a purpose. A a new beginning is not just a do-over. You know, you get to go back and do over what you were already doing. No, it is a new life. You have a new life. We're going to take another intermission just for a few seconds again. I want you to think about the new life, the new beginning that maybe you want so desperately. It's yours as the Spirit comes upon you. So the Son, the Spirit, and then finally the Father. The voice from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Father is the source of all life. And so when you have the Son, He becomes human in time when He was born at Christmas. But in His divinity, God's Son is, as we're going to say in the Creed, eternally begotten. He is eternally generated from His Father. He has no beginning and and no end. Now, now we're not eternal, but we are begotten. We're not eternal. There was a time when we were not, but, but we are begotten because the Father, who is, again, the source of all life, has given to you your life. He is, he is your Father. He lovingly made you in His image and in His likeness. You are His family. You're not a slave. You are his dearly cherished daughter. You are his son whom he loves and is so proud of. He's so pleased with each and every one of us. He, del- think- he delights over us. I want to give you one more second to reflect, if you would. And I want you to ask yourself, who, in- who are you trying to please? Yourself? Others? How's that going for you? Is it working? Do you find yourself more times than not thinking that you are a constant failure? And maybe it's because you've seen the disappointment in their eyes. Or you've seen it in your own eyes as you look into the mirror. No. No, no, no. Friends, listen to your father. Listen to the voice of your father. You're my daughter. You are my son. I love you so much. I am so pleased with you. 
Think on that just for a few moments. See what I mean? There's so much packed in those 100 words. I mean, they really, these 100 words of this gospel pack a punch. But actually, you can reduce them down to 20 words. 20 words. Brandon, can I pick on you for a second? What's your middle name again? Brandon Jeffrey. 20 words. When you were splashed. Brandon Jeffrey, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All of it. Everything I've been talking about for the last 15 minutes and so much more in those 20 words, it's all yours. It's all yours in your baptism. It's all yours. Oh, my friends, keep unpacking these words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.